This episode is brought to you by Leo Bato and Associates, ang realtor na pato. When buying or selling your home, call Leo Bato. He has years of experience in real estate, showing honesty and integrity in every transaction. He's a person you can definitely trust. So book your appointment with Leo Bato today by giving him a call at 818-648-4837 or by visiting him on the web at www.leobato.realtor This episode is brought to you by ABBA E-Services. And the podcast will begin in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, whew, live at Paco's Place, Gene loves Jezebel, Michael Aston. Yep. <laughs> That's all, folks. Yeah, good night. Been a pleasure. I mean, how you 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 do get this a lot, right? But when, like, we look up to you as you should. Yes, sir, Your Royal Highness. I'm taller than you. <laughs> I know, yeah. But this whole this this whole time. Your career spanning one, two, three, four, more than five, almost, 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 almost golden. nine years now. Yes. No, no, no. For almost five decades. <laughs> it's Is about it forty years? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Forty years only. No. Well, I'm only seventy-two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when when you started, did you did you ever think it was going to last this long? Of course. Tell me the mindset of of when you say of course, like. Some people... No, I don't. I, I was taking the piss. No, of course you don't. Mm-hmm. Anyone starts one year, the biggest thrill of your life is to make a record, get it released. And that is the pinnacle of your... The height of all your dreams. Right. You know? And then... Your, your, your friends, are, all your local mates, are, you're suddenly a rock star. That's all you need, you know. You can suddenly get a girlfriend. So, no, you don't... No one really dreams of a career. You know, okay. Think. So, one album, you made that the journey to the first album, was it more of an obstacle kind of thing? Was it an easy path? Oh, it was a joy. Because everything, everything was new to you. Hmm. You never, you never uh, played live before. You never stayed in a bed and breakfast before. You never visited a different city, a different town. You never appreciated new cultures, new people. And I'm talking about going as far as Scotland, you know. Yeah. So it was a brand new experience for us. Never been on an airplane. Suddenly you're flying to New York, you know. Uh, I mean, I come from a small village near a steel town, so no one that we knew had uh, became anything, you know. So for us, it was a a wonderful ride, incredible, incredible uh, experience. But well, when you say no one, no one you knew was into what you guys were doing. Is it safe to say that when you were doing what you were doing, there were um, detractors going, ah, no, 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 why don't you just get a job? Oh, yeah, my parents kicked us out of the house because we were too noisy. We had this little uh, mono cassette recorder, (laughs) which being twins, we had to share, which was the origins of our misery, I would guess, or our problems. (laughs) So... uh, but yeah, he'd play a little bit of guitar and I'd sing. And uh, my parents had turned that bloody noise down and uh, kicked us out. So I left home when I was barely 16. So. 
Wow. So that's not not my parents. They're wonderful. We did make a racket and there was yeah. a big large family in a small house. So you could appreciate their discomfort, large, you know. Large family. How Plus many, my dad was working shifts, you know. How many siblings? There's eight eight kids. So and you seven boys. And, one and girl. you and you and your wow. You and your brother were siblings number what? We were mid. I'm number five, so he'd be number six. Yeah. Huh. So now in the and normally what happens is your your worst critic is a family member. Your number one supporter is a stranger. Did you say that was applicable? Like like in the house, was it like that? I don't think we didn't believe in ourselves, and no one around us believed in ourselves. It's it took time. I think uh, the first time anyone believed in us was when we uh, I'd moved to London, and uh, I'd asked my brother and Ian Hudson, the guitar player, to join us, and we made our first demo. And myself and Ian walked around every label, every address we could find from EMI to Virgin. And we dropped one off at uh, Beggar's Banquet, <coughs> which was in Earl's Court, a very small, tiny place, which had three labels, 4AD, Situation 2, mm. Beggar's Banquet. But I dropped it off and Situation 2 picked it up and uh, called me back up on the landline. And I went back over there and uh, they offered uh, to give us a uh, an audition night so the, the showcase like a, a showcase, showcase yeah. yeah at the the rock garden you know okay i was telling say a story earlier about you two playing with the bunny man the next night they played the rock garden which is a tiny venue well this was a showcase for gene loves jezebel we were known as slavarian at the time slavarian, so we weren't yeah. even gene, gene loves jezebel so we did the showcase and they said great we love you let's do an ep so i went back to uh to situation two, which I say it's it's one room with three labels: Beggars Banquet, Four AD, and Situation Two, like legendary labels now, yeah, yeah. you know. So the Associates, Bauhaus, I mean, Bauhaus, yeah. the, you know, the the Cult, so many great Adele, I guess. Who knows? <laughs> so, but anyway, I go in there, and the, the guy offers uh, Peter Kent, who signed us for this one EP, you know. Uh, off gave me all these records for free and which was unbelievable because i'd never right? i'd paid for everything my entire life you know so suddenly people were giving me things so yeah we made the ep and uh we basically never looked back you know okay when the ep came out there there were what there were just three of you in the band or was it a full band by then oh well the band gina's jazz well, in conception was basically my brother and i okay and it, in fairness, Ian Hudson too, the guitar player. You're right, just the so, three of you, right? So the players would change around all the time. We've had, I probably, even up to the 80s, we'd had four different guitar players, probably six or seven different bass players, uh, any number of drummers. So it was always essentially the twins, right? if only a visual thing. But essentially what, what Gene Jezebel was, was the twins, you know. For all intents and purposes, people really didn't give a damn who played guitar, you know. Yeah. So me neither, but <laughs> not true, having fun. That being said, though, who wrote the songs predominantly? Was it you or your brother? Both of us, yeah. How was there, how was, what was the dynamics like when you guys were writing songs? Well, Jay would come up... Well, Ian too. So uh, most of the songs I would write would be with Ian, not with Jay. Not well. No, Jay would do his songs, but yeah. I. What I would do with his songs, I might work on the melody or the lyric because I never felt his real strength was a lyric, you know, and that's that's not. 
being too harsh. It's just he's very good melodically and he was really interesting musically. Where Ian was very strong musically and had the, a more uh, uh, potent, more powerful, more vibrant, more emotional, more, you know, which lent itself to the way that I wrote. So we'd bounce along songs like Always a Flame or Bruises, mm-hmm. Upstairs, the more kind of, uh, I would say the more left field rock, you know. Yeah. So Jay would have the more quirky and the sweet, you know. Um, so, so the whole, so the whole, co- the, the whole combination actually lent it, lent itself. It all, everyone contributed. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, okay, so you guys are a band now. No manager at this point. It was just you guys, or was yeah, there no manager? I was the manager, essentially. Ah. I made all the decisions. I led the band. I decided what we would do and wouldn't do. I found the dates, the agents, the dress, the get, the the, the, dress. The, the the image. I even made the clothes. I painted their clothes. You see all the early stuff with all the painted shirts you see all the artwork that was my work you know so what was the conversation and the reason why i'm asking is because <sighs> people don't know how important the 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 image is i mean visual and audio it's they very important yeah. they, they go particularly in those days because uh if you think of the early mid 80s you were competing with young beautiful right far out but you know everything from Boy George, Southern Death Cults. I mean, everyone had a great look. It was an androgynous I mean, look, yeah. Even the likes of you two, I'd have silly haircuts and mm. my daft clothes, mm. you know. So being just being good wasn't, you need to be, or you needed to be more than just good. You needed to have a, an angle, as someone would call it. What do you guys have? Well, we were lucky because we had twins already, you know. I mean, I think we would have been okay if we just turned up in, pair of jeans and right. bare chested because we have twins. Been, but that would have been Nelson. Well, no, but I don't think Nelson would, could write songs like we could. Amen. Know? They couldn't write songs about Amen. having uh, sex with your mother, you know. <laughs> <laughs> although although I did have sex with him with her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we, are we there yet? <laughs> okay. The reason why I'm, I'm asking this part of the of the conversation is because number one, conversations like this in bands normally get, you know, um, get into heated arguments when one goes, "This is the look we're going for." No, no, no. This is the look I want to go. Oh no, you do that. I'll do this. But in in your case, when you when you guys first came out, it was it was a cohesive image. It was, yeah. Well, we we were twins too, so we grew up together. We we're influenced by many of the same things. Right. My wife at the time was in an art college, mm. so I mean, she, I was hanging out with people who be, later became iconic art, you know, fashion figures. You know, not, I'm not going to drop names. They weren't anyone then, but that that was the kind of influence we had. Artistic people around us, writers, all our friends. You know, we're we're artistic, creative people. You know, so it was uh, it was important for us to be as original and creative as we could possibly be. Because if we weren't, you didn't exist. You know? Yeah. So it was us against the world. It was always more left field. We came from a very socialist, working class background. Uh-huh. Uh It was an interesting dynamic. You know. So. And then the the songs became uh, like not left field, but. How many songs became a commercial success? Well, that's a, that, that's a great, right? Like you your have, your yeah. idea of the success of Gene of the Jazz Ball is my is my impression of our failure. I thought we were better before. 
This the, is interesting. Emotions of love and desire. I thought we were much deeper than far that. Yeah. More important, far more valuable entity before you know the pop songs. So know. who's who's not fault but decision maker? Well, I think it changed when Ian Hudson. We did our first American tour. We'd already written Desire, and it sounded a little different. But to me, that was as far commercial as we should have gone, you know. Um, but Ian had a nervous breakdown on the tour. Then uh, I had to bring in another guitar player who I'd seen in another band, and the only guitar player I'd seen. So I basically asked my manager to call up the only guy I'd seen. So he came in to play guitar. He eventually ended up staying, but he brought in because he played with the Kim Wilde band, mm. a couple of dodgy punk bands, uh, but it's more straight ahead rock and roll, right. poppy, you know, we're the kids in America. Yeah. Oh, oh, la la la. <laughs> so that lent itself more to Jay's side, you know, which uh, was the, the poppy, quirky, you know, yeah. yeah. Hey baby, it's blue, are you true? I think I've seen you. Uh, what you get is what you see. Sorry I left some goo in your panties, you know. <laughs> That's his. was where he comes from, you know. Um, so when this was happening, what was what was going through your head? Well, I was still pushing my side because I'd still be doing. I mean, I, I'd still be doing the more romantic, like the heartaches. Right. I'd still be writing the choruses, like "Gorgeous" to be my chorus. Yeah. But lyrically, we, we were at odds because I felt it was too late. You know, we were now in our twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight years of age. We'd started off writing songs about true pain, true experience, grit, you know, you know, uh, incest, and suddenly we're writing. It's like we'd like we'd be like the Beatles doing uh, "Lonely Hearts Club" as their first record, and "Love Me Do" as their, as oh, their yeah. last. It was in reverse. Instead so of we, getting deeper, yeah, and, deeper into, yeah. So they were just selling out. I mean, I don't think selling out. I don't think it's part of their personalities but suddenly in the past I would have Ian on my side for example you know I had something to break it up now I had two guys and a bass player who just wanted to be Duran Duran you know I mean nothing against them it's no, just that that's that wasn't what they the wanted yeah, exactly. that's what they wanted yeah but it wasn't me so I came to a point where it was uh, agonizing for me so I didn't want to be part of it you know so how how difficult or easy was it to be true to yourself in front of them to tell them you know what guys this is not oh no we fought I'm a very straight speaking person you know unlike them who are backstabbing bastards you know they work behind your back so right. they worked very hard to isolate me you gotta remember I put ev I put the band together I yeah. moved first every member of that band was down to me in the early days I sang mostly and did everything from the artwork yes. to singing being the lead singer in the band. Jay was the backup singer. But suddenly they moved it all around, which was, I understood it, but it was, it lacked courage. Mm. It was cowardly to what they did. You know, it was, it was a horrible thing. So, but you I mean, you asked the origins and where it went and whatever it mm -hmm. was. So, but uh, it was two different bands. What should have happened when I was moved out, left, the band should have split up. They should have gone on. They wanted to call themselves the Jezebels, which would have been fine. Right. But I think they were pressed by Gaffin to to maintain the to name. To maintain the name, but they didn't have a gene, mm. and it didn't in America particularly. It didn't work because the second I left the band, we they went. I, I can't say we because we went from playing Universal Amphitheater, selling out in three hours. They were suddenly playing small clubs, 
because they didn't have the twins, you know. Yeah. And then they turned it round. It's like a paradox. Well, that's just a myth. It was just the twins. That's what they think. But the real gene of Jezebel was us guys. So, and they continued, made two more records, but nothing happened. And it came Wait, to an end. Jay and company made two more Two records. more records. Kiss of Life and uh, Heavenly Bodies. Okay, yeah. Took a okay, while. What were you doing around this time? This time I was doing my solo work. I did uh, Edith Grove. I made a solo record. I'd met my wife. So I was a very, very, very happy person. But Jay came back to me multiple times because fuck all was happening with his life. Okay. So he wanted me to bail him out. And every time right. I bailed him out, out came the knife, you know. So <laughs> Twins. Let's talk about no, that. No, no. All from him, not from me, you know. So yeah. I'm coming to his rescue. And every time I rescue him. There's a knife. He fucking throws me out of the boat. Mm. So <laughs> he's, he needs help, you know. Yeah, and you can only take so much. Yeah, I mean, there's so many bad stories. I don't want to go into no, that. We're not going to uh, go, go into that. Which, the last story. time we, I saw the, the dude was 20 years ago, I saw, you know, or more. So, Okay. My, my, I, have, I have twin siblings. and um, you got to remember, we were, we were like this. I was going to say. Till, till we were 40. That's why. In 1997, that's... I would have taken a bullet for him. And then overnight, one final betrayal, I said, that's it. So that's, 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 that's what I was going to allude to because I see my twin sisters, they're, they're solid. So it really has to take something. Oh, something massive. Yeah, massive. For you uh, to, to, to you create express, I would never expect, he would be the last person in my 64 years of existence that I expect to betray me or to stab me in the back. So... Pretty big. All the twins that I've ever known are like this. Yeah. They love each other. You know, we spent 40 years together, living together, walking together, going to the pub together, the coffee shop together, day and night, side by side, like that, gone. For what? For a washed up band? You know, to sing, you know, let's be honest, the 80s is a long time ago. You're going to give all that up? To sing Motion of Love and uh, Heavenly Bodies to 100 people or go on tour with The Alarm, a band you hated and slagged off. I mean, they're playing with bands none of us liked, you know, and suddenly they're all, <laughs> the guitar players playing with The Alarm. I used to slag them off all the time. And, and to see them now, they're all buddies, you know, come on, you fucking hypocrite, you fucking principle-based that's how i see you yeah, you're a yeah. man of principle right and that's non-negotiable the whole like well no i try to help them out but it comes to a point i mean i can't patronize you you can't you know? yeah my wife always said to me i could never get a, a job because i had to be the the boss that i have a problem too <laughs> you know you know, we, we, we're going to New York tomorrow. If I say we're going to new, the, the New Mexico route, guess which route we're going, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're not going past Phoenix. I hate Phoenix. But it would have to be my, it would have to be my, my goal, my ambition, you know. comes to a songwriter. If you write a stupid word, or I, I, you know, and vice versa, you can criticize me too. I mean, I'll take it well, but I'll accept it. It's not good. Fair enough. As long as it's face to face, no backstabbing. No, no. As Say it, it to is. my yeah, face. Yeah. How do you right? feel? Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is how I feel. Mm -hmm. You know, better or worse. You know me who for what I am, you know. That's no way to succeed, by the way, unless you're an artist. And to me, it's, it, it's, 
essential in a real artist mm. to be truthful. You know, what have you got to share about your life's experiences, about your about your feelings, your emotions, your pain, your joy, your love? You know, so, uh, I hear a Leonard Cohen uh, interview once, and he, he said something really smart. He must have been in his sixties, seventies, and he said. If you're writing songs at my age, you should be able to impart something. You must have learned some fucking thing. Yeah. And he said about Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger, in his 60s, 70s, he still wants to get fucking laid. That's his whole baby, baby. He's an old <laughs> fucking man with a toupee. It's ridiculous. I mean, I'm sure. Well, but how many times can you play that guy? It's or, ridiculous. Or satisfaction. Well, I mean... It's satisfaction. His time is magnificent. It is, but then but you again, want to see a young exactly, exactly, doing, yes, you know? that's what I meant. You know, this episode is brought to you by Leo Bato and Associates, ang realtor na pato. <clears throat> like you're seventy something and you're, you're still. But no, that I mean, do what you want. I mean, yeah. that's the law. You know, who cares? But then again, isn't that subjective? Like, yes, like what is, could yeah. be, what could be, uh, what could be a sellout to you could be totally, yeah. Right, Absolutely, yeah. a version of. Well, I said just said that about my my band. Right, the fact they wanted to sing silly songs, love songs is fine, you know. But you are Gene loves Jezebel. I'm part of it, yeah, a major part of it. Look at you here, like you're saying right now that you're part of it. Don't you own the name right now? I own it, but uh, but you but people see, contribute. But see, that's what that's well. Okay, I get it. Um, I mean. I, I couldn't have done anything without my brother and vice versa. You know? But that's nice. The, the acknowledgement is still there. It's, it's yeah. just that there's a boundary that you can't cross and you've established that. Right. But moving, but, but now, today, like before the pandemic, you guys were very active still. Like you particularly and the band was very active still. Well, I love to perform and I love to travel. You, I mean, I've always said, if you called me tomorrow and said, Michael, you need to be in New York by Saturday, I'm on my way. In the having a cigarette, driving, coffee at six o'clock in the morning, and loving every second of it. You okay, know? I can remember the travel more than the shows. That's there you go. I love it. Now, <laughs> you have to play these songs The Motion of Loves, The no, Gorgeous. No, I don't. I don't. Really? No, I don't. I, you know, I've played shows where I don't. I can play what the hell I want. I know. So, but, but, but we did a show well before. COVID, but aren't the fans obviously. gonna ask ask for it? I mean, if the well, fans we will. If, okay. certain, if if we're doing an eighties show per se, okay. like we've we've shows coming up with eighties bands. Of course, we have to. Yeah. But if I'm playing the Echo in Silver Lake, I'm playing what the hell I want. Amen. We're gonna play a show in whiskey soon, you know. And I like playing. I like playing gorgeous. I hate playing emotional love, but people love it, so I got no choice but to do it. <laughs> we played Peru, okay, and there's five thousand people. Richie loves emotion. Okay. People love it, I know. Okay. I always think it's a language thing, okay? Explain. Any, well, if anyone can speak real English or ever read any real English, Motion of Love is the, the poorest romantic song ever written. It's appalling, you know. So I think, like, if you're from Portugal or somewhere, it, it probably translates really well, like, Armadora para romantica. Lover, viva la rola. <laughs> but in your own language, it sounds like a you know a, a pons, you know, it's like some pansy. Wait, what's that? I listen, treasure. <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for you. I want some pleasure. 
I love those things that you do. What the fuck? Is it a fucking cocksuck or not? Say the next line. Come on, you have backup singers singing. Say the next line. Uh, it's so bad, I can't remember it. You know. Do you know what you want? I've, I've did not. What we did uh, South America, and they go so crazy the song. I changed the lyrics. Okay. The verse. And the the lyrics are hilarious, but because the crowd's all singing along, they don't hear what you're singing anyway. <laughs> but I was singing, "Moron in love, you're a moron in love," <laughs> which I think would have been a bigger hit. <laughs> Maybe I should recut it. You know, on, on that, what was what was everybody wants to rule the world before it was everybody wants to rule the world. It wasn't that. It was everybody. similar. No, no, no. But it was along the lines of what, what <coughs> Michael said. Right. Until they changed it to, to a more commercial, everybody wants to rule the world. Pretty brilliant. They, they did a great job on that. So, oh, that guy, the singer of that band, was born the same year and the same day. As you? As me, yeah. And your brother? Yeah. Roland Orsbach? Ro yeah. Isn't that amazing? Mm. It's quite wild, isn't it? 64. S 57. No, you're 64. 64, yeah. 65 yeah. this year, yeah. Don't forget my birthday now. When is it? <laughs> Pardon? When is it? August 22nd. A party, party. New day in August. <laughs> Another but day in August. My kids will take me out, but thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I can always yeah, bring them their adults. Yeah. So. Well, we'll celebrate that again. Yeah. Now, the journey. The journey had a lot of trials, um, losing a loved one, technically, betrayal, all that stuff. Was it worth it? No. The only thing, the only thing that was worth it is I met my wife as a consequence, my five kids. But no. Damn, you met Margaret here. Yeah, that's the only reason. Why'd you move to the states? Because of him. Which is the irony. If we hadn't started, I'd never met her. I wouldn't have my children. So, but if I could do it all again, I wouldn't do it with him. So. Wait, wait, wait. So Jay, for not convinced, they you. pushed us, pushed me out. So uh -huh. I moved to L.A. I did record deal with Virgin, had new management, same management actually. <clears throat> it was essentially on my own and I met my wife. That was the only good that came of it. So. How'd you meet Margaret? Uh, she was uh, w she was working at a restaurant. She was Were you married 18 at the time? years, 18 years of age. I was 33, 15 years oh, old. Oh, you cradle no, listen, listen. <laughs> no, grave robber. Oh, grave robber. <laughs> so... I met her and uh, I took her for coffee and. Wait, took, wait. Let's let uh, Okay, fine, shut fine. The fuck oh, up, okay. motherfucker. <laughs> God. Let me ask you about your fucking story. No, 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 no. Okay, I just I'm wanted... telling you what happened. Okay. okay. So I meet her. Uh, <laughs> I give her my number. She calls me. I call her back. I ask her, she go, would she like to go for a coffee or something? She didn't know she was washing her hair. This is a true story. So eventually, we hook up and I, we take her for a coffee. We sit down. I find out how old, how old she is. 18. 18. And I'm th 33. No um, shame. No, sh no. And I said, no, no. This is not going to fucking work. Plus, I was a Leo. She was a Taurus. Ooh. So... Plus, I told her the day I met her, because I already had a son when I was 18, which is the same age as she was. I said, I'm not going to have any fucking children. So I You think ate she, your words. I think she burst into tears. But 
we've been together ever since, which is 30-something years. I don't know. So, so some good came of it, you know. Some great good. You know. So my question was, where, where did you meet? Where did we meet in Los where? Angeles? Yeah, we, I, yeah. Tell me how big Los Angeles is. Like, okay, it's a restaurant, Los Los Angeles. Okay, so a restaurant. You just walked okay, in. Okay, it's an Asian she's restaurant. There. there you go. Yeah, see? it's a place. I, it's a place on Sunset Boulevard. It's a Chinese restaurant with a California uh, tinge to it. <laughs> and she, she worked there, and she was going to school. And uh, I would see her because I had that often because I had I had plenty of money. Plenty of time, and I'd wake up about two or three in the afternoon and go for breakfast about four or five. Look at you! <laughs> so, and we, st we started, and, be, and I started, ch and we would ch chat, you know. And I was very attracted to her, but uh, despite everything, I was quite a shy guy. I'm not the kind of guy who could just walk up to a woman and say, "Will I go out?" Eventually, I gave her my number because I thought that was a, the correct thing to do, you know, the right thing to do. So I didn't want to come across some creep. So eventually she calls me. So I did. I think I followed the protocols, but I do know it will. No matter what I say, it will never look good. But so, but uh, every man I've ever told the story to has gone. Whoa! Yeah, you lucky bastard. You lucky. You're lucky <laughs> Shout out, Margaret. <laughs> now, <clears throat> five kids. How old's your youngest? He's eleven. Yeah. What do they know about dad? He's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they're laughing. I don't agree, but I don't know why they're laughing. <laughs> well, all, when you, your, your children adore, I adored my father. I don't know how you were with your father, but most children adore their father. So, no, but I, I, I mean, a, the bad. I, I have a great relationship with my right. children. Uh, they know I have family from in Wales, and they have some idea of the incidents. It's gone on and they must never speak to my brother and they see him, you know, just to bury him somewhere in the desert, basically. No, they don't know all that, but they know it would hurt me very deeply. So If they did. If they did, yeah. Mm. So, um, but they're all fine. I have a great relationship with all my children, you know. Uh, I've got a daughter who was the hardest to work with because I'm not used to working with, I only had one sister. But <laughs> okay. They're into music too. Your, your, some of your children are yeah, all, all your of children. They're all, all into them. music, yeah, yeah. And they've played with you. They, they never heard my songs, though. I would never let them play Gene of Jasper at home, you know. So, and even my wife Interesting. would never, we'd never play that. In fact, when even when we were making records before I met anybody, I was the guy, the first guy in the studio and the last to leave with the producer working on it. And once we'd finished that last mix, that's the last time I'd hear that song. So. Wow. I never ever went back. In fact, as the years have gone by, when I've got new players in the band and uh, they want to learn the song, I'd realized that we, we'd evolved so much we didn't play the song close to what it was originally. Yeah. Every, the whole thing had changed. The groove had changed, the parts have changed. So then I'd have to go back and listen to what we were doing. Oh, okay. I see what we weren't doing now. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got it right. <laughs> The new the new track is that uh, that you're working on. Mm. I think it's gonna be amazing, but I may be wrong. But uh, in my in my life, when I've I know instantly when I've done something that's really gonna be great. When I can't stop playing it, can't stop singing it, and the guy I'm working with is bugging me. He can't believe his luck, 
But it's lucky for me because I've struggled to find people to write with, you know. Mm. I've been fortunate to find, like, Michael Cirovolos, but not someone where I feel like I'm going in a totally different direction. What comes first? Like, in, in this case, like, you're, you're not writing with your brother. You're not writing with people that you started your career with. How does it feel to actually be okay? Now, I'm, I'm driving this and I'm working with people. Well, I'm, I'm in a, a fortunate position because... I tend to react. So mm. if you start hitting that drum there and I got a microphone here and you're playing something off, I'll come up with something. That's how I write. You know, I don't write. I'm not sitting with a guitar trying to figure right, out a right. tune. I'm kind of more free than most musicians are because vocally you can do a lot more. You know, all melody all is here. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, I enjoy... I, but it's te- I haven't done anything for a few years because I'm just looking... I just want to be inspired because I need to react. I need to feel it. I'm not one of those people who just bell to a something's going to work. I have to feel connected with us. Something has to resonate with me. So, so now I finally found this guy who I'm curious in that Facebook, which I'm no longer on anymore. Um, he said, why don't you try something different? So I said, sure, send me some stuff. He sent me this one song. I thought, oh, this is great. Let me do this. Or I've already done that with someone else. He played me what this lady had done. And it wasn't great. And I'm thinking, fuck, you wasted what I could turn into magic, in my opinion. Right. So I said, okay. I said, well, we can re- it's your song. We can rework it. I can rewrite it. He goes, oh, I got some other stuff. So he sent me this short piece of music and it's like, bam. I had a chorus and a pre-chorus, which you usually you come up with a to- title first or something. Yeah. But this one just instantly pre-chorus I sang it once pre-chorus first and then chorus and then pre-chorus and let's do the verse after now I'm working on the verses but now my problem with the verses is that I have so many great fucking lyrics but subject matter because the title is so great which I can't obviously can't tell you Um, I could apply so many different subject matters to it which would would resonate I mean it's it's really powerful but it's also huge now it's a burden because I have to come up with fucking imagine you know what I'm saying oh yeah you know what I'm saying yeah it's not like just writing a pop song like Desire Mm, you know mm -hmm. I mean it comes with age also it's hard to really write songs that you know pop songs from when we were younger when you were younger to songs now I mean now I don't think I've changed as a writer though since I I very first began you know I've always approached it from a wordy kind of uh, I wouldn't say poetic that's pretentious but it's always meant something to me for it to mean something even from you know i am slowly pushing on bruise but only lingering that's poetry that's one of the first songs i ever wrote you know so i've always it hasn't changed for me in fact i thought i think if something happens when you're in your mid-20s right i think you're at the height of some fucking spiritual chemical you know maelstrom something insane is going on because all the greatest writers seem to have that you know there are exceptions like you said Lenny Cohen he wrote his greatest songs later in life but much later in life so there's no rules you know so that's where I am now I went through a period of believing into that in that youth nonsense it's all about youth relief nothing you accomplish is I agree you know and I fucking wasted so many years but now I'm finally dragging myself out of this pit and feeling oh my god this song is fucking brilliant you know it's gonna change people's perceptions of me and what I what I can do. Now when you say people Maybe it won't, but it will for me. Correct. When you say people, when you write songs, is there a target audience? It's for me. I think I write for myself. Thank you very much for so, saying yeah. I hope everybody caught that because see I, everybody's like 
you know, I write about my life and <clears throat> heal myself, you know. So, right, you know. and then some will, some won't. So what if they but don't? But if you look, I know if you look at yourself honestly and, and write honestly, you know, you fucking the worst of yourself as well as the best of yourself, you will, people will like, relate to that, identify with it. I've been there, you know. Yeah. I was that man who lost, you know, this or won that, you know. So. Are you an apologetic person? Am I apologetic? Rephrase that. What do you mean? Like, do you, are you the type of person who likes explaining himself all the time or you'll just do whatever you feel like doing and... I don't know. You'd have to give me a circumstance. Like, like, yeah. like, um, because when you said that, and I'm, I'm the same way at this point in my life where if I'm writing a song, I'm writing it for me. Right. I don't need to explain anything to anybody. Well, this is what I've found probably over the last 10, 20 years of my life when I'm working with people, they respect me now. If I say, in the, when I was younger, you looked to producer sonically everything, which always made me nervous anyway, because I always knew my ears were fucking better than theirs, you know. But you didn't say anything. Then. I did, no, I did. I would fight. Oh, you that's did. Why I was always there at the end. Okay. There were exceptions, but if it didn't go right and I didn't like it, that song would never make the letter day. You would put your foot down. Oh yeah, and I worked with a guy, uh, Jimmy Ivin, and he said some the similar thing to me. He said, "I don't, I don't want everyone an artist to walk out of here not feeling whole." Which is good. Which is good. And another, I've worked with people, a guy said, don't let them fuck with your dream. Even if it's a bad fucking dream. Best advice it's ever. It's your fucking dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? Don't let them fuck with you. And I did at one point let them fuck with me. Explain. Well, I came to America and I was lost. I'd been rejected by my band, my brother. So I, my, my self-belief, even though I was signed to a massive fucking label, my, self, my self-belief was in tatters. So I went through a period of questioning myself. Even though I remember writing with one guy, I wrote fucking song after song, but I didn't believe in myself anymore. I got so bad at one point, I went to a fucking singing teacher. I'd already sung fucking six fucking records and sold a few million records. But that's what doubt can, it can happen like that. We're, we're all so fragile, you know. Dang, I want to cry. So, but I, it hurt me for a long time, fucked me up for a long time. But then I did, I met my wife, my son was born, I did an album called Why Me, Why This, Why Now, which is my favorite record I've ever made. And that, I knew when I made that record, I'm a fucking genius. I don't care what anyone says. You know, I'm a creative, capable, I'm an artist. So, fuck you. You can't fuck with me ever again. And no one ever could ever since. So. Yeah, you, went, you, went, you went the extra I step. I was so happy. I mean, it was on an independent label. But I was so proud of it. The reviews it got were, were amazing. Then the Rex records were made. I not going back to Gene of Jezebel. I made more Gene of Jezebel records, and everyone on limited budgets were better and better than anything I ever did in Gene of Jezebel. So I felt whole. So now I, all I need to do is like, I mean, why the fuck was I aiming for independent labels? I should have been going for the major labels. But this is where my self-belief force i'd put myself into this right you know i i don't matter i'm irrelevant you know i'm not young and beautiful <laughs> you know to quote right, a, right. you know famous what's that song yeah what will you think of me when i'm not young and beautiful that's where my that's what i felt you know so but really i was at my i mean i still have all my hair now and i'm 60 fucking four mindset <laughs> no? i mean it's 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 your perception of if you change that mindset oh, no you make yourself old yeah. yeah yeah i worked in a steel mill and men 
when I was 16 till I was 21. And uh, I remember men in their 50s and 60s looking like they were fucking 90. I remember men leaving when they were 65 and dying two days later. So, because that's all they had to live for. You know, we're all, we, we are what we do. You know, and if what you're doing isn't making you happy, you're going to fucking be miserable, you know. So I believe that to be true. Okay. A lot of nuggets there. Very inspiring, very... And, and the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw this back at you so, so you can emphasize this. A lot of Filipinos, which is a lot of people in the audience, we're very timid as a as a culture as a nation you know we 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 know what we want but sometimes it's hard to express ourselves because we don't want to offend people to the point that we will sacrifice how we feel and let it eat us inside and not be whole but keep doing what what's expected you know just to keep the peace and all that but what you're saying is making me think, yeah, what peace are we keeping? Right. Your testimonial right now is like, I mean, now you're, you're, you're whole, there's peace and, and all that. What was the process like? Because there was, a, there was a dip in your life. Of course, Margaret was there, your, your son was there. Right. But what was the turning point in, in your life to, for you to say enough is enough this is it I am claiming what's mine right. I, I want to know what the trigger what the switch was and how it got to that well I came out of I mean I'd, I'd been through Gina's jazz while I was a pretty decadent human being done everything you might expect a person in my position to do right you know be treated like a god didn't believe it a second of it. thought it was all bullshit anyway but went along with it came out of that Fell back on my feet, uh, still removed. I'd lost something, you know, big. And that, you had big, the doubt in big, inside, yeah. Big. So it must have taken a couple of years, but after I met my wife, then we had our first son, Oliver, which was the most beautiful experience of my entire life. I swear to God, watching the birth, you know. I just felt everything that the whole wreck was about her and the, that experience, you know, um, of my mm. children. You know, I come. My parents are very loving. I mean, I come from a large fam, large Catholic family, so my father rubbed off on me and definitely my mum too. So I love children. I absolutely adore them. So I came with that experience, and uh, I'd met a new guitar player, and uh, we sat down. What kind of record do we want to make? We wrote the record in about probably two weeks. Recorded probably a week. Just and this was clear. a record that you liked. Oh, I loved it. Because it, it, it proved to me, because even when I was with my brother, Gina Jezebel, he used to accuse me of thinking I was, oh, this, what are you, fucking Bob Dylan? Because they just wanted sweet and meek and t- hot and tots, you know. But I wanted to be, you know, I was, just have a little more depth, you know, a little more interesting, you know. Who's going to be interesting? Shouldn't, shouldn't every song have something of interest, something about you, you know? So, um, but, so suddenly I was free. I'd met Triple X and a guitar player named Mick Rossi from a band called Slaughter and the Dogs. Great acoustic player, great little writer. And we just wrote a little record together and uh, just flew, you know, the lyrics, the melodies, everything. 
just flew. It was magical. So it was, we had nothing, but it's probably the happiest period of my entire life, you know. Oh, wow. Being true to yourself. But then I came out of that, so then I just felt, I felt empowered, you know. So. That empowerment. I just knew that I had, I had, they were wrong. I had talent, ha. you know. They were wrong, and all I had was jealousy. I can see, you know, it's not my fault. I was always the funniest guy and always got the girl. I'm sorry. I apologize for that, you know. So. <laughs> I'm looking at your wife, no, just kidding. <laughs> okay, so now, here's Michael Aston. You could have gone with Michael Aston. Why? why? I did go with Michael Aston. Right, did go. Did go. My brother came, wanted to reform Genius Jazzball. I went on the Why Me tour. It was a very short tour. Right. We got to New York. He was staying with some rich guy, um, which we stayed in because our budget was zero, mm. which didn't bother me in the fucking slightest, by the way. We played New York, got great reviews, <laughs> great reviews of the record. We played Boston, and then we're in Boston. He asked me we should be back together because his fucking life had fallen apart, you know despite what they or he will tell you, he was nowhere. He was living on so And this was after your journey of All my journey. I was, right. I, was, I was on top of the world. Yeah. But he's my twin brother. Right. Fought for him. Always, we come from the same place. Yes. Same fucking womb. So I said, yeah, I thought we were great together too. You know, but this time we'll do it this way. So we did the demos, did that. Uh, they'd made some headway in Portugal with their, my, my, without my, um, uh, input so they had some success in Portugal we played there and the same shit went down couldn't work with them anymore went on made another record Edith Grove another great record people around me believed in me had a great budget it was a great fucking record Jay wants to form the band again so what do I do he's my twin fucking brother sure same thing happens times three 97 but he wants to put the band back together and I did it this time too I was ready to do it too so put the band back together go on tour he uh, the tour is doing great meet this guy he wants to make a record the guy uh, Taylor Robson who's since committed suicide massive Gene of the Jezebel fan said will you make a record we said yes and Jay begged me on his hands and his knees to let the old guys come back in and through the, my, mute, the, the mutiny guys the mutiny guys oh. and through my enlightenment which was not an enlightenment I said yes it was the biggest mistake of my life because a more enlightened man would have said no mm. fuck you rotten hell you motherfuckers and my brother did exactly the same thing again but worse broke my fucking ribs sued me lost the lawsuit and spent tw over 20 years slandering me and rewriting a history of Gene Loves Jezebel. So there's no forgiveness. And worse, they've made terrible, terrible music since one crap record in 20 odd years. And it's shit. Even their fans tell them that. But bad, bad people, you know. So, But I'm back to where my sublime period, my enlightenment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here I am with another guy writing another record. It will be me, it will be Michael Aston, who will be nothing. When, in fact, after this interview, if anyone ever asked me about them or that past, I'll say, done. Done for that. Thank who, you. Who? 
That's dead. Died 20 years ago, 30 years ago. What Margaret say when when number three happened? She well, I don't want to say what she said because uh, in 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 only in as much as you're not being terribly wise, you know. Hmm. So and you know what? It's nice though to have to have a good woman beside you, right? As my father said to me when as uh, when I was 18, you only need one good thing in life. I said, "What, Dad?" He said, "A good woman." Amen. So. Which is true. <laughs> It is true. <sighs> Time for a cigarette? Yeah. This episode is brought to you by ABBA E-Services. That was a five-second cigarette break. Maybe. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nope. <laughs> Everyone in this room, aside from probably Jaja and Margaret, are immigrants. Right. You included. Yep. Sorry, you thought we get a lot. <laughs> I'm just setting it up. <laughs> yeah, carry on. No, yeah. yeah, we're all immigrants. Right? But third world, that's who we are. That's where we came from. Not came you. To, this is the third world, though. You? you? The U.S. is the third world. Now? Originally, it was the third world. The British colonized it, didn't, didn't they? It was, oh, sorry. So no, of course, yeah. Actually, you, I'd say this to my my kids and my, uh, my wife or any Americans. I mean, well, you came from Italy. Italy was a first world country and you came into the third world. <laughs> I mean, all it was was, you know, right. you know buffalo and uh, whiskey. At the time that... That was happening. Yeah, but they, they 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 came for a better life, but there wasn't that much year for them, you know. Right. So for probably, I would imagine, for the first generation, it was probably really hard, you know. Why didn't you go back? Because that's the question I ask each and every one in this room when we came to the stage. Well, I, at one point, we were going to go back to London because I had a flat in London. So oh. we considered it. But uh, I didn't want to go back to what I'd escaped from. Until I thought, maybe wrongly, that in America it's more difficult to, to judge someone's class or what, the, what they're about until you've spoken to them. In, in England or Britain, you can tell where someone comes from the moment Accent, they, open right, their mouth, yeah. they open their mouths. So I thought we'd give our kids a better chance. Uh, But my kids always say, why didn't you take us back there? <laughs> so <laughs> then they could learn to speak properly. <laughs> so. But, okay, pre-Margaret, okay. what was the, okay, it might intertwine with what we were talking about a while ago, but everybody has a journey when we come as immigrants. It's like... Yeah, I didn't, I've never liked living here. Huh. So, I mean... I'm still not, I'm not, a, I will never be an American citizen. I don't want to be. You know, I'm Welsh, which I'm proud of because the Welsh have less blood on their hands than any of the other European-based colonies. Right. So I kind of like that. So I don't feel, I feel like I'm just here until I go back, until I get buried in Wales, you know. So I'm only here. Well, we're together. So, <laughs> second she kicks me out, I'm going back, <laughs> which could be tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now 
You're here. Let's talk about you being here. I wish you don't go back because we like you being here. Post-pandemic, I want to say that it's a new world out there. I'm excited for you. I, I mean, without the reveal of the new track, without talking about it, you're 64. When I turned 50, I felt that I'm like, that's it. What? What's there to do? Being face-to-face with you is an inspiration because here you are all excited about tomorrow. Right. Me, I'm kind of cautious about tomorrow. But you have much as I have. You have five children. Yes. Four boys and a girl. Uh-huh. A beautiful young wife. Yes. <laughs> what are you fucking whining about, bitch? Exactly, right? <laughs> you know what? Thank you. No, I th- um, my happiness is... All, uh, I mean, essentially, we're artists, so, you know, we have needs to create, and we're happiest when we're creating, you know? Yes. So, so, and I think we've agreed that, or I've come to learn, and we've agreed that any time is fine, it's great to be creative and to be alive, you know? So, I mean, I went through a long period where I I was numb, destroyed, and uh, I came out of that, you know? Did drugs play a part in your life? Not really, no. I mean, never casually when I toured. Sometimes I'd be given drugs, get fucked up, regret it. But I, I'm beyond cigarettes. Mm. I don't really have an addictive personality. So I never had drugs as a crutch unless you regard alcohol as a, a crutch, which it is. But I, I, don't think, uh, I don't think alcohol compares at least to cocaine or heroin or meth or whatever people are doing now, which is far worse, you know. We're not we didn't die from one hit with fentanyl and whatever it is, you right, know. Right? Yeah. So we what the risk wasn't there. You might have a fucking very nasty hangover for a day. Um but no drugs were not a, didn't have a role in my life. With regard to with regard to the, uh, how you observe music nowadays and the electronics, the the way it's arranged Right. The way it's written, wherein it's just a riff, right? As opposed to when we would make music, there are chords for the for the verse, for the pre-chorus, for the chorus. Right. We'd even go as far as writing a bridge, right? Well, it's funny because this guy I'm working with now, it's uh, it's been really refreshing because I don't have to sit with a band and we don't have to figure out with what tempo we wanted to be, and then we don't have to figure out the bridge, and then you, I mean, all songs were essentially the same, you know, intro. Mm. Verse, mm. pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, middle right. eight. Yeah, get middle, the yeah. fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Pay me. <laughs> so, What's but I'm working now? with this guy now. You can change things instantly. I can move a chorus. I can do this. I can, and then I'd say, to, I'd say, well, this is with the verbiage. It's changed because I said to him, well, that is now the pre-chorus. I'd sung a line, which was fucking brilliant for the in my humble you could when, we, when they play this 10 years from now and it sold a billion copies they'll say wow so i said yeah now this is this is now the pre-chorus you need to chop that put it here and here and here now this is we're gonna there's gonna be a middle eight but we need something for the middle eight we'll, we'll i'll build something vocal and we'll work off that or you'll be an, an inspiration as a musician but it changes and so it's so much easier to work now 
you know because I'm still coming from old school I won't let me use yes. auto-tune or any of that bullshit you know I said if I'm out of tune out of time that's the fucking singer that's what it is I don't want your fucking bullshit you know mm. I mean my daughter listens to a lot of modern music and I can't bear it because right <laughs> sing it I want the emotion I'd rather listen to Nick Cave and you know <laughs> I don't name any names. I'll upset her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but uh, so yeah, I'm enjoying that part of it. So it's it's becoming a a marriage, you know, of my old school, his his new world, you know. But I'm not letting him get away with too much new world, you know. It's always going to be mm-hmm. it's, it's me there. Collaborations. I mean, yeah. Are you into that? I'm totally into it. I mean, I need a uh, I need someone to work with. But they need me more because it's me that comes up with a melody. Right. And I have to sing the fucking thing and I have to write the lyric. And most of the time I have to arrange it, even in Gina the Jezebel. So a singer's, singer-writer's role is the most difficult role, I would assume. It's a lot to do. You, you have to write it, um, sing it, I mean, perform it. You have to get a performance. And that performance can be very difficult to get. Ask any guitar player if they get a really great solo. They've probably only ever played that solo once. Uh, you know, that's true, though. You know, Jimmy Page used to say, I remember Ian Hudson, we did uh, the original Swedish thing. He play, played this fucking, the most outrageous guitar solo I've ever heard. Just mind-blowing, blew us all away. He could never repeat it. For the record. <laughs> so, but of course... All we had to do was go back to where we did the original demo. Even if it had been a four track, we could have uh-huh. just lifted it. We didn't have the presence of mind because we were still pretty young then. Yeah, yeah. But looking back, that's what we should have done. The original Swedish thing is Brand. a thousand times better than that. <gasps> which we found out. We used to demo everything. And, I, and uh, you go, is this, I, is I, I worked with Steve Hill. We started a record together. This is Country Guy. He's a legend. And he said he's never been to a studio where I had a... Uh, album button. I mean, every time you record something, it's recorded, you know. <laughs> there's still <laughs> no recording. Oh, it doesn't say, oh, there's the demo button. Let's press the demo. <laughs> this is a demo. <laughs> right? Why would you walk anywhere with a microphone or an instrument and think you couldn't save it for eternity? Which is the beauty of the modern era, right? Yes. You can, you know. But I mean, I'm still, I'm still. Like, I'll, I'll take the stuff I have now and I'll use it my ancient iMac, you know, Apple, <laughs> my garage band, okay? And I'm, I'm a fucking retard, okay? <laughs> so I'll have the basic track and then I'll finally figure out to get some kind of vocal reverb on this other track. And half the time I'll forget which track I'm on. I'll wipe out half. <laughs> so... I mean, most people, people make records these days. I mean, I, I was just part of a record where uh, people from all over the world compared to a thing called Beauty and Chaos. It was uh, the guy from the mission uh, in fucking Brazil, someone in fucking York in England, someone in Africa just sending bits and pieces in. But I have to go to the studio because I'm so, I cannot possibly <laughs> figure out how to get one vocal track and just send it as an MP3, right? Which is what they're doing. But I do enjoy being in a studio, having said that. Like this time now I'm driving up, you know, to the coast to do, to, to sing. And I'm in the room with a guy who's got a press record, not demo, record. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, 
I'll sing it and then I'll go, oh, I'm not, it's not quite right. So I got to come back, you know. Okay. <clears throat> that part. It's not quite right. I got to come back. Some people feel that pressure that they have to deliver. I used to feel that way. Ah. That's what I was talking about earlier on. Now, if I say I'm not ready to do it, guess what's not happening? Doing it. Yeah. yeah. Is this a demo? If, if I'm doing it, press demo. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I have to be in the right frame set and he's got to have the right sound. And it's being fair, right? Yeah, it's, uh, Is it? But, uh, how do I say it? I don't know, but this... Here's one of the, my, the worst things about me is that very often the very first thing I do performance-wise is the best. Because the first one? The very first time I do it. I will sing. I mean, all our early singles was all one takes, screaming, bruises, blah, blah, blah. But as I've got older, maybe, I wouldn't say more sophisticated, but maybe more analyzing, I need more from it. So I could do, I could sing two great lines. Maybe the third one wouldn't be quite right, you know. <laughs> you know. So wait, I could I could say, you know, uh, yesterday all my troubles seem so weird and gay, and I couldn't live with that. So I'd have to take it home, even though I could never sing a better line than yesterday. All our lives were weird and gay. <laughs> Would you should you stay with that, or do you do what McCartney did and change it? I don't know. Right. So I mean, so I have to. I have to get performance and what I feel lyric that I can live with, where I can defend that lyric and think, yeah, this I could not have done that any better. You know. So this is happening in your head simultaneously while people are actually behind the mixing desk or in the studio or people are there, time is running, time is moving, there's right. this conflict in your head. When do you say, guys? Well, there you are. This is where I am now. Because the last thing I did, which is a great song, I mean, a really good song. It, they were, I was under pressure for when I went to the studio and we had three, four hours to sing the vocal. She under pressure. I'd get it done. <sighs> but I couldn't do that. I said, no, no, you know, we have to do it when I, because I don't want to release anything that I'm not 100% behind, you know. Of all the records I've done, there's not one song that any song I've ever done, no matter what you think of it, that I don't think is great. So I may be wrong, but it's my wrong. So, so now with this one, I'm super close to this one, but the trouble is I've got so many great lyrics that aren't quite, just don't quite, just turn the knife where it needs to be turned, you know. Doesn't cradle where it needs to cradle, doesn't... Even if, even if the people collaborating with you says... I could sing, I could, the first take I have on this song where the lyric doesn't really tie up or not tie up, it's, it could... It's abstract. I mean, I mean, 80s songs, the lyric doesn't really mean yeah. anything. They say, oh, you just have to make your own impression. Know, what yeah. it is. It's because the singer <laughs> couldn't come up with the fucking lyric, you know. But this one is, that's where that is, where this is, where I say this, and it, it, it does pay off, but it, for me as a songwriter, I want it to pay off like a fucking novel. Yes. You know? It has to be a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has to, has to tell a story. Arc. Yeah. Has to tell a story. It has to start here, and the time you get to the end of it, you're fucking shattered. It has to be like good sex, you know. So I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> saying it, saying it is very important to be to to be able to feel it in your gut, right? And to be able to verbalize it, regardless of what other people 
may perceive you to be or perceive the situation to be. It's important to drive home, to go home to your wife and kids. And when asked, how did it go? Did go according to plan, but I'm happy because I was ready. Yeah. Well, no, isn't that even like that? Well, it's, when I was in Gina's Jezebel, everything, we, we took off basically within weeks, months of walking into an, uh, making a demo tape, getting a deal, coming off the door. Everyone did everything for us. It went from hmm. touring, getting paid, people opening doors for us, limousines, planes. It went, we got bigger and bigger, better and better. Not massive, but you become so entitled. You don't learn what the road manager does. You don't learn what the accountant does. You don't learn what the, uh, you know, what the A&R guy does. You don't learn what the T-shirt guy does. You don't know what the truck driver does. You don't learn what the electrician does. You don't know what the road guy does. You're all, you're, you're all about... Me. I'm the center of the fucking ah. universe. Suck my dick, you know. So, so I came out of that experience, and suddenly I had to learn everything. everything. I had to book a show. I didn't know what we were worth. Uh, <laughs> I had to pay my players. I had to audition. I had to rehearse. I had to find a label. Then I had to suddenly, you know, make decisions. Like I, my first tour with the Why Me record, I'd never done on my own. I didn't know what you had to pay. I had to rent a fucking small little truck. I didn't know what to pay anyone. I, my first band, guess how much I paid them? How much? Zero? Guess how much I earned? Guess the only guy who got paid? Who? The road manager. Damn. <laughs> but we were playing these tiny clubs. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't want to lose money. We had six shows which covered the entire United States. <laughs> <laughs> Our first show was in Chicago. <laughs> so we didn't have a fucking clue. When, when, on this tour, we had a little... Uh, initially, my wife and I were going to do it. We, just, uh, we were going to take our little Westfalia Volkswagen, a Vanagon. Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. We bought this thing for $600, a middle of winter. <laughs> we seriously discussed... <laughs> taking this on tour with the baby this is how fucking Margaret. ignorant i am is this true this is how i how i'd come from being an ignorant little steel worker becoming a rock star and suddenly finding myself back to the little ignorant steel worker because i'd learned nothing so suddenly i had to learn it but guess what else happened suddenly i was started driving suddenly i started figuring out how to route Amen. I could book a hotel room. How to not have to do a sound check and just do a, you know. A line check. <laughs> yeah. So it became magical. It became empowering. Suddenly, you know, um, I mean, you, if you can learn what other people do, it gives you so much humility, you know. I was going to say, so, that's when humility sets so, in. Gratitude, yes. I, I did one, we we'd once played, a, we did an MTV thing and we played the Ritz, sold it out and they had limousines for us and we were, we weren't used to this, you know. We were God's silk satins, beautiful young men, you know. And then I told the limo driver, open the fucking roof up, we're driving through the Bronx, and yeah. I see a bunch of people, and to my great, the saddest thing I've ever done, I said, get a job, you bums, as a joke. Not realizing what a fucking asshole I was. But that but realization, yeah. yeah. But it was bad, when I think, fuck, even though I didn't mean it, mm. but it was yes, just to get a laugh. It's like... <laughs> How fucking crazy is that? 
Get a job, you bums. Most of them. Damn. I hope they should have shot me. <laughs> Humility and gratitude. Important, no? Very important. Yeah, well, I'm also more forgiving now because we all make fucking mistakes. You know, it's part of life. You know, my kids say things to me and I'm like, oh, we'll see. <laughs> you know, it ain't easy, you know. So, if someone, it, someone starting a band right now or someone trying to get ahead in life to get away from the rat race. It's different now. There's the internet, there's social media, all that stuff. We, it was organic. It's harder now, much harder now. Because why? Well, when I, when I worked in the steel mill, I earned as much as my father. I could have bought a house, I mean, through a mortgage. Now, my kids are all college educated. They, they can barely move out of home. You know, the opportunities aren't there anymore, you know. So I think anyone who makes it now, it's a fucking miracle. It takes a lot. You gotta show some respect. The sadness, what I see, and maybe I'm wrong, is that a lot of the people that are super successful are empty. You know, they're they're all celebrity and no talent. You know, so we live in a curious age. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't take away where I came from or what I went through. It's magical in so many ways. You know, when we wanted. To, listen to new music we'd go to the, we'd all meet up to the local record store pile through stuff and look at the sleeves and right you know then, then we'd, we'd go, all, go to each other's houses and play fucking vinyl what do you think of this and all virgin fucking doobie brothers man <laughs> <laughs> you could like you could you could actually listen to everything yeah, at the yeah. record store I used put to you in your headset I used to play uh, well me and my brother both love Led Zeppelin you know so we played them so much that we'd get scratches on the record and the scratches became so essential to the song. There was, a, for example, like there's a song called uh, Bring It On Home. At the end of the song, he's going, bring it on home, bring it on home to me, babe. And the song at the end would have a because we scratch played it so much and I fell in love with it. And this preceded all the, yes, <laughs> you know, yes. it was sounded magical. Because in, in the old days, you, you'd, uh, you'd have a part of a song. It might be a, you know, a fucking Patsy Klein song. And there'd be one note, or a Renette's, and there'd be one note that fucking turned you inside out, made you yeah. melt. And you pick up that needle and you find that white spot and go, oh! And you'd have to hear that. To hear it, you'd have to go, keep lifting this needle up. Now you just have a click, instantly hear it. But the joy of that, I mean, the amount of records yeah. that I loved... Just for, there's a Beach Boys song, there's an intro. The only part of the song I like is the intro, but I would buy that song just for those few notes, you know. Yeah, the tactile feeling yeah. of lifting the needle and all that stuff, right? As but opposed to pressing it for 15 seconds back and 15 seconds forward is so different. Right. Have you seen Led Zeppelin live? I saw him twice, yeah, 1975. I actually went from a night shift when I was 16, 17, 16. And uh, queued up in uh, a record store in Swansea in South Wales. And it's the first time I met like-minded kids who were into one band. Probably, I was there pretty early, probably 6.15, 7 o'clock in the morning. There must have been about 30 kids ahead of me. And in spaces, they all had these little cassette 
mono cassette recorders playing, you know, bootleggy. Oh, on a levy break, Mama God, move. <laughs> but it was such a feeling of community, you know. So it was magical, yeah. Community. That seems to have gone out the window. It's all virtual community it's now. Isn't it? It's very difficult. I, I think mean, it's I'm trying come back. to think of the advantages. I, there is no a great advantage from not meeting a person in person. I mean, you can be so fooled, abused, used, exploited, you know, by the internet, in, you know, Facebook, social media, Tinder, all those things, you know. You really need to see and meet a person in flesh to have any idea. You know, my kids have, have to meet the women in their lives and vice versa and men in their lives through fucking social platform I know the swipe left swipe right uh. but I mean I, I mean I'm off Facebook and all that now because you get into fucking discussions with people and then you'd meet them and you'd fucking think what the fuck I wouldn't give this person a second of my time in real life and here I am you know discussing fucking Trotsky and fucking Marmalade you know it's bizarre, so it's. But we live in difficult times. You just come through COVID. My kids have lost two years of their teenage years. That's a lot, yeah, in terms of growth, yeah. you know. So I don't know. I I don't know. You need to socialize. You need to meet people. You know, you have to hang out. You, you don't learn anything about someone purely from the words they write, you know, or the fake fucking. In Photoshop image they put up. You know. The catfishing, all yeah. that stuff. Oh, that's real. Scary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, so, but but social media and your fan base. Because that's a tricky thing, yeah. yeah. I have to, because <clears throat> I have to do that. I've got a new agent and uh, they want you to do that, you know, but what they're asking me to do or an artist to do is to, is to sell to them, to prostitute ourselves, basically, you know, to sell them tickets, to create this false... Right, you know this camaraderie, this false fucking legion. You know, that's a double-edged. That's a double-edged sword. It's, it's it, too it difficult. Yeah. Even when I remember in the eighties, I remember uh, coming to America, and they say, "Oh, you need to call this radio station to thank them for playing the record." And I'm like, "I'm not going to fucking call Ray. They don't want to play the record. Don't fucking play it." But then they explain to me, "Well, you don't realize that." A lot of these records are played through favors, like you know, they have, I can't remember what the system was called, but they basically payola. You payola, you decorate their house or send them a stripper, and yeah, they right. play your record. Which I said, well, that makes me less want to fucking speak to them. So true, yeah, fuck them. One of the reasons why I um, want to do this podcast is because, like, I don't know if you experienced it. You're doing an interview with not well, not all DJs, but there are DJs. You're doing an interview. They're asking you a question, and then when you're when you're answering, they're doing all the sorts of stuff. Right. They're not paying attention to your answer, and I'm like, oh my god, this right. is so hypocritical, and it does exist. Oh, it does. Well, you're unique because you're interviewing people that you like, how you have you know an interest in. You know, a lot of these DJs are doing jobs that they hate. You know, and I even I I mean I can't speak of the modern era, but I remember in the day that. It was very cutthroat there. You know, they're all looking after their jobs and uh, if they weren't getting the hits, getting the commercials, then they would lose their jobs. So that's the pressure of capitalism, I guess. Speaking of capitalism, Spotify, iTunes, those, these streaming platforms, are you for it, against it? 
if I sold a million records every time I, you know, I put a record out, I might be having interest in it. To me, I don't. I mean, I hear two sides. For an established artist who gets twenty million hits and just makes, you know, five hundred dollars <laughs> is not good. But for a new artist who gets exposed right. suddenly, you know, but I, I don't know. I think it's always people artists never really made their their money from record sales. It was always from live performances. Generally, I mean, there are exceptions, you know. So will I see you again performing? Yeah, live can... like a big tour aside from new wave night 10 no, just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. that's all i can commit to is new wave night yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously i mean are you guys planning a tour well t touring's hard the nearest thing we are to getting to a tour so far is that we're playing uh looking at san antonio dallas houston Salt Lake City. It's not a bona fide tour as such because no one's done that tour yet. This is the nearest, and we're just starting to do this because of the, all the COVID. Yeah, it's changed. Now, we've done two shows in two years. Two shows. None for I think two years, and then we did one a few months ago. I can't even remember some desert place. Where was it? Do you remember? Arizona. You refused to. El Centro. Oh. Which was magical. It was like 140 degrees. But Yo. it was a fun show. So it was a hot show. Every <laughs> <laughs> time you'll ever see a hot Gene of Jezebel show. <laughs> and then, uh, no, we got... Uh, and then we did an, an, an 80s show, which was... A, but it was a full 120-minute set. So that was good, you know. That's... That's... Yeah. So... But when I can play, we're doing that cruise. And I, and I refuse to do these... 10 minute sets of these 80s things some of them just one in particular but I'm not going to mention but uh, I said no I don't want to play for less than an hour anymore you know so he said well what if you can play for 75 90, 90 minutes I said, okay we'll do that right so we're going to play we're going to Barbados you know? but I don't want to go I don't like cruises but shoot but I'll enjoy it'll be you know it'll be I don't think I'll enjoy being on a boat you know bunch of fat goths you know <laughs> Before we go, when you were recording back in the day, as Gene loves Jezebel, and maybe this is a funny question, but I have to ask this question. Did you have to wear your makeup and your clothes in the studio? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that just killed it. Because all the longest time I thought... While read while looking at the album, I'm like, as a kid, huh? I'm like, <coughs> did they record this dressed like this <laughs> in the studio? Well, we would dress like that, but we wouldn't walk it. We, I mean, in the day, I refused to wear denims, jeans. Okay, I wouldn't wear t-shirts. It always had to be silks. So there was a degree of that. Okay, but I'd be no makeup. No time to do that. So, but uh, when we lived in. Uh, West Hollywood, Larrabee Street. We walked. <laughs> West, we walked on the street once to. Uh, I don't remember where we were going. The bank, supermarket, whatever it was. My wife and I, and uh, it's a famous studio. It's, I think it's called Larrabee Studios. Larrabee. Larrabee. It's like ten o'clock, eleven in the morning. Okay, beautiful sunny day, as it is every day. So, <laughs> so, so guy steps out, immaculately dressed. Fucking, it's ten o'clock in the morning. Okay, immaculate. 
sharp. Sharp. The boots, the suit, the fucking hair. Guess who it was? Who? Prince. <sighs> that time of the morning. So I think he was a true professional. Immaculate. <laughs> Blew my mind. And I've met a lot of people in my life, but uh, never seen that before, which is a sign of absolute madness, of course. <laughs> but to look that sharp, it's commendable. Yeah. Sign of madness, but... Oh, my God. So that was wild. If, if you had to do it all over again, would you have changed anything or keep it the same? I, well, I said it. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I would do, if I did it again, I'd do it on my own. So that's the only thing I would change. I would do it on my own. Yeah. I was perfectly happy. Even when we started, when I was in London, when no one else, I was the only, I didn't know anyone in London. It was me against the world. Was the happiest person in the world. I put my first band together, which my brother, not Ian, were part of, and I was happy. So, I mean, that's I learned the lesson from the very first day. I was happier alone than I, you know, I spent my whole life fucking nurturing when I should have been taking care of myself. There you are, take care of yourself. That's what I say. It's not Ayn Rand, by the way. Dang, that's that's the message right there, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Aston. Thank you. <laughs> Woo! Oh, I see the